0: Cast number 11, part two of a four part series entitled Autocracy or Democracy Time to Choose. I'm Gloria Lapata Prosperi, and you're listening to Counter Voices. Autocracy versus Democracy Time to Choose is divided into four parts because of the complexity of the subject matter and to provide relevant research and references on the topic. Today, part two will provide references focusing on the evolution of autocrats, regional autocracies, loss of identity as a grievance, and how to mentor and defend democracy. The four podcasts are guided by Dr. Jorge Prosperi, author of Trenza's Braids, the originator of the website diversitythreads.com, and of this podcast, Counter Voices. Dr. Prosperi's research and writing spans some 50 years as an educator, workshop facilitator, consultant, and researcher focusing on social, cultural, political constructs and agencies, as well as addressing multigenerational trauma with a focus on providing knowledge, historical context, and, as he constantly emphasizes, trying to provide relevant language. Welcome, Jorge.
1: Uh, The pleasure is mine.
0: Okay, let's begin by having you provide specific sources that are available to our listeners in order to expand their comprehension on the nature of an autocracy, its doctrine, ideological beliefs, strategies, and also that describe autocratic personalities.
1: Well, let me first uh, stress that there is a plethora of books and articles on the subject, particularly since the rise of Republican Trumpism an ideology that I believe mirrors the characteristics, attitudes, and behavior of an autocracy and autocrats. Now, the most recent poignant source is a new book published in 2024 by Rachel Maddow titled Prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism. Her book provides an historical window of the 1930s homegrown American fascists. Nazi agents, and their political allies in search of an American Hitler. The book reveals how the American fascist movement was well underway before Hitler even came into prominence.
0: Um, Excuse me one minute, but I think the movement that you speak of is eugenics. Can you possibly elaborate briefly on eugenics for us?
1: Well, you raise an important historical fact that underscores our perspective on fascist movements in America. Let's keep in mind that the concept of a master race in America was fueled by eugenics, a movement finding public support in America and Europe in the early 1900s. Now, since then, eugenics has been discredited as being fraudulent racist science, invalid and immoral and contributed to Hitler's delusions of a master race, given rise to white supremacy and anti-Semitism. In America, eugenics was used to justify racial segregation, prejudice, and explicitly used as a model by the Nazi regime. The relevance that Rachel Maddow provides is that the isms and phobias that we often blame on others were homegrown and part of the history of who we have been as Americans. The book connects with current struggles as to who we are. And Maddow leaves it up to us to answer the critical question, who do we want to be?
0: Uh, aside from Rachel Maddow, are there other sources that you can share that citizens can depend on to provide not only historical evidence on autocrats, but also to connect with current autocratic movements.
1: There are many resources. I recommend two books that are considered to be must-reads on autocracy and autocrats by Ruth Ben-Ghiat. The first is Strong Men, How They Rise, Why They Succeed, How They Fall, and the second Strong Men, Mussolini to the Present. These books are comprehensive, analytical, describing roadmaps, and strategies used by authoritarian demagogues. How they deploy their ideology and power building. ben Giat explains how autocrats reshape countries around them, create cults that ultimately provide blind loyalty. She describes how current autocrats draw on playbook of behavior established by figures such as Benito Mussolini, Muammar Gaddafi, and Adolf Hitler.
0: Well, my understanding of Ben-Ghiat's research is that she uses history to draw on her analysis of everything from gender and sexuality to diplomatic strategies, and she explains the psychology of how autocrats create and use fear in order to obtain power at any cost.
1: That's correct, and her books now show the blueprints that strong men use to gain power and most importantly she finds correlations on the recent experience in america with the rise of republican trumpism both books have become watershed studies on autocracy authoritarianism dictatorships and despots
0: can you also share some sources that explain the engineering of the autocracy by media deception which is also known as spinning the truth or intentionally misleading citizens.
1: A source that speaks to your question is by Sergei Guriev and Daniel Treisman titled Spin Dictators: The Changing Face of Tyranny in the Twenty First Century. The this book is important because it explains the redesigning, re-engineering of authoritarian rule that has become more sophisticated. And globally connected. The book provides a history and also describes the new breed of wannabe dictators and how they manipulate information and plot to sway voters to believe them.
0: I find the use of psychological tactics to sway citizens that you often mention in your analysis of autocratic strategies and I'm wondering specifically the use of misinformation and lies can you comment on a source that speaks to this very issue
1: what you are referring what you are referring to is american society under attack by way of autocrats weaponizing misinformation barbara mcquaid a former us district attorney university of michigan law professor and analyst for nbc news and msnbc recently published a book titled Attack from Within, The Psychological Tactics Autocrats Use, Why They Work, and How the Digital Age is Making the Threat of Supplanting Misinformation More Potent Every Day. McQuaid also offers solutions and aims to inspire a national conversation about renewing this country to a democracy.
0: So typically, when speaking on autocracy and autocrats, we often point to historical, global, and national examples. But what about citizens that want to know about local autocratic influences? Is there such a thing as local autocracy?
1: Yes. And a topic that is not often mentioned or studied. David Pepper wrote a book titled Laboratories of Autocracy, A Wake-Up Call from Behind the Lines. His book is revealing and at the same time alarming because it puts the spotlight on local government, that is, the digital maps of districts that Steve Karnacki of MSNBC and John King of CNN used to show election results. Those maps that show the rural, urban, and suburban distribution of cast per district of each state. What Carnacki and King provide, aside from whiz-bang entertainment, is an excellent unbiased analysis of districts and political math. But David Pepper points out that there are backstories behind the splashes of blue and red districts that citizens need to comprehend. Pepper explains that behind the numbers are the stories of local businessmen and women that live in these districts holding on to the power and control of the political narrative without being challenged from generation to generation. Pepper explains that the autocratic control that exists in these districts is far more real than the high-profile antics provided by the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, Matt Gaetz, and even bigger than Donald Trump's big lies. Pepper sheds light on how politicians in state houses across the country pose the greatest danger to American democracy. The central problem is that some state houses no longer operate as functioning democracies, but mere autocracies. These unknown politicians Often powerful local businessmen have all the incentives to hold on to the status quo and obstruct and deny legislation that could result in enhancing the quality of life of all constituencies, all constituencies even their own.
0: So, listening to this, I would surmise that once elected, they cannot be held accountable, no matter how extreme they get. And, once in power... They can control the legislation and the obstruction from generation to generation.
1: Well, furthermore, the power bestowed to local politicians also has national implications because local politics can be a pipeline to the United States Congress and Senate. Consequently, there are answers and consequences when citizens ask in amazement the puzzling questions of How in heaven's name did these charlatans ever end up in Congress? What were the people thinking? Well, the answer always comes back to each of us and the power of our our individual vote.
0: And if I can interject as a sidebar to your point, recently there's been more emphasis on awareness and motivation to expose what is called local district regional autocracy, particularly with the debacle of George Santos' being elected to New York's 3rd Congressional District. And that fiasco created more of a national laser focus on providing citizens with transparency by local field offices as to who is receiving financial support and verifying which candidates are credible and trustworthy.
1: An excellent point and food for thought for donors and local grassroots organizations to focus on long-term results and not take any district for granted. I believe that it is an unforgiving mistake to use terms such as urban, rural, and suburban as collective nouns, rather than respect the issues and problems of each zip code individually. The problems may differ from zip code to zip code, but each district is made up of citizens deserving to know the truth, and have delegates that will work on their behalf, as you say, with credibility and trust.
0: And let us not forget that the political strategy of gerrymandering districts was constructed by Republican legislatures over many years and in order to favor the outcomes. It was actually a masterful strategy to gain and maintain control, which is a characteristic of characteristic of an autocracy.
1: I fully agree and always emphasized that gerrymandering was an ingenious strategy and a primary example of consequences of the electoral process. By this, I mean the power of each vote. President Obama and Eric Holder several years ago created an umbrella group focusing on these issues, particularly legal challenges to gerrymandering. But as both men agree, once fairness and justice is established district-wise, there is still the challenge of mentoring and nurturing candidates. Leaders who understand local issues provide a voice for their constituencies and establish what elections should always emphasize. We again repeat, credibility and trust. Remember, A democracy is always about all of us, regardless of our address, regardless of our status.
0: And, as you say in your writings, that part of the solution will be to educate the public on regional autocracies. And given the attacks on school boards to censor and revise history and misinform, what do you say to local school board members and teachers and students and parents that face these alt-right conservative movements?
1: Well, first of all, I would say to all all of them to reaffirm your belief of living in a democracy as a way of life. Reaffirm democracy as a priority and a choice. Also, remain courageous and vigilant. Persevere. But also, mobilize and engage within the democratic process. Specifically to parents, I say get involved. This means men as well as women. Run for school boards, attend parent association meetings, and find your voice within the community. This is not a mom's issue, but a citizen's issue. Monitor the curriculum and mobilize against all right parents professing and using the term parental rights to censure literature, revise history, silence educators, and limit students' accessibility to knowledge, critical thinking skills, and of course the pursuit of the truth.
0: And with respect to educators, what do you say to teachers who are always on the front line of these attacks by these autocratic forces?
1: for teachers, do not remain neutral on promoting and defending democracy. Teachers should focus on the power of influence in their classroom. Attend professional development workshops and conferences on diversity and inclusivity Ask each day two key questions. Why am I here? And what legacy do I want to leave behind? Regardless of the grade or the subject matter being taught, do the the critical research you ask your students to do. Continue to expand personal and professional knowledge and methods. This is what our noble profession requires all educators to do. I recommend three books for consideration for all novice and experienced teachers and administrators. The first is The Courage to Teach by Parker J. Palmer. The second, We Can't Teach What We Don't Know by Gary R. Howard. And thirdly, Teachers as Intellectuals by Henry A. Giroux with an introduction by Paulo Freire and forward by Peter McLaren. To members of school boards and administration, provide students with opportunities for experimental learning. School-wide assemblies and debates on democracy and autocracy. School administration should be instituting inclusivity, equity, justice, and democracy, and critical thinking across the curriculum from pre-K through high school. Review the curriculum not only vertically, but also horizontally by way of interdisciplinary connections.
0: And just as important, what is your message to our students, the very reason we enter the teaching profession?
1: As our students, run for class office, student council, join community service projects, promote and lead a affinity groups and clubs that include all students. Find the teachers, the counselors and administrators that will work with you and provide access. Partner and collaborate with other schools within the district and across town. Use technology to collaborate with other students. Become aware of the similar and different problems faced by students living in different zip codes and work collaboratively to find solutions. Do not become discouraged and hopeless. Most important, use social media responsibly. Remain vigilant of hate groups that try to recruit high school and college students, and follow the protocols of your school regarding school violence and bullying. If you see something, say something, as regrets and consequences can be avoided. Lastly, I remind high school students that upon graduating, each of you, each of you will be a citizen facing crucial choices as to your vote. Therefore, find your voice, find your power of influence, realize the power of choice, work to change our world for the better.
0: I'm wondering, is there one specific source That you would recommend to parents and teachers and students
1: yes the book is titled on tyranny 20 lessons from the 20th century by Timothy Snyder a book that should be required reading for not only high school students before graduating but also citizens before voting Snyder stresses to not look away and not normalize hearing lies, seeing swastikas, rebel flags, and other signs of violence, bitterness, and hate. The book stresses that we should pursue the truth, remain ethical, and introspective. Now, the book is a quick read of only 126 pages. On the last page, Snyder makes a plea to young people to reject the traps that older generations have laid before them and break away from the vortex of negativity, blamism, and nihilism. Snyder emphasized that, that, quote, young people need to make history, and to make history, young Americans will have to know some history. This is not the end, but a beginning. End of quote. And I would add, such advocacy must begin not only in our schools, but in our homes, our workplaces, and, of course, at the voting booth.
0: So do you think that from all the sources you've cited, do you think there's a common thread, a unifying message by which to contrast an autocracy to a democracy?
1: Yes, all of the sources come together The authors not only provide historical evidence and examples, but more importantly, the authors warn Americans that, number one, there is a real danger when voting and elections are dismissed or taken for granted. Citizenship, living in a democracy, is not a two- or four-year event, but a daily process of awareness, motivation, and advocacy. Two, the authors warn that an autocracy does not just happen. It is engineered by choice and design and is present at the local level. Three, that an autocracy feeds on citizen ignorance, disengagement, exhaustion, casualness, and laziness. Fourth, verify and validate information. Become a knowledgeable, astute citizen. Ask critical questions and pursue pursue the truth. Fifth, the history of autocracies is that they leave cataclysmic, multi-generational trauma behind that takes generations to recover. Sixth, remain vigilant. Listen to the language and evaluate the actions of candidates. Lastly, as citizens, find your power of influence and vote with emotional intelligence and moral clarity.
0: I have to say that it's really interesting to me that dictators can survive in the 21st century. What do you think is the convergence of thought between autocrats and their supporters, like those representing and believing in Republican Trumpism? Or in other words, it seems that there's a a segment of society that's firmly embedded in absolute thinking, wanting to only hear what they already have been predisposed to believing. I mean, how much do you believe is generational and perhaps even impossible to change?
1: Well, a great deal is generational, and we know that psychologically, absolute ingrained beliefs are most difficult to change. That process can take years of therapy. And here I am not being smart, condescending, or... Sarcastic. Absolute beliefs are deeply rooted, implanted over years by a host of influences, also known as our social curriculum that takes place during our developmental years, taught by family members, environment, local influences, region, friends, schooling, religion, politics, even profession.
0: So what I'm understanding is that what you are emphasizing is that who we are in large measure is learned, constructed, and therefore can be unlearned and unconstructed.
1: Well, I would say that psychologists would agree that such a process is highly, highly complex. My point is that autocrats know the psychology of the curriculum of human development. There is a strategy that autocrats rely on, which is selling the delusion that the good old days of the 20th centuries will somehow miraculously return and that all highly complex current problems, such as the economy, gas prices, environment, immigration, all of these highly complex problems will be solved magically by one man. This is a fantasy. The tragedy is that autocratic lies and deceptions leave supporters with the trauma of self-oppression, feeding on itself from generation to generation with its members unwilling to learn and change at their own expense and at the expense of their fellow citizens, their children, their country.
0: I've noticed that you also stress that an autocracy is based on supporters fearing, and I quote, the loss of identity, unquote. And that seems to be a crucial characteristic.
1: Yes, and one of the central fears by supporters of an autocracy is the loss of the power of their identity, of being replaced by changes in the racial mix of the country, changing demographics. And cultural shifts. Many autocratic beliefs are based historically on the status of racial superiority, the belief of a master race, and white supremacy. These isms and phobias promote the belief of an inherited right to dominate others, the justification to rule over others.
0: Can you explain what you mean by based historically on the status of racial superiority?
1: Well, racial superiority was a central premise for justifying and rationalizing slavery, subjugating and displacing indigenous people, creating generational prejudice against immigrants, and a core belief of anti-Semitic Nazism. These conscious and unconscious ingrained beliefs keep citizens from growing and changing from generation to generation. I cannot be more clear. To believe in an autocracy and in an autocrat is to ask citizens to stand on quicksand. And for what, Gloria? For what? We always come back to the same critical question. For what?
0: Okay, so what do you believe are the defenses and protections we can use to fight against autocrats?
1: What autocrats and their supporters fear the most is the rule of law that leads to accountability, liability, proof of culpability, validated guilt, imprisonment, the loss of financial gain, and the loss of power. They tremble at the loss of support by their followers. The game plan by autocrats when caught is to deny guilt, disregard subpoenas, avoid testifying under oath, lawyer up, take the Fifth Amendment, deflect guilt on others, intimidate judges, lawyers and witnesses, delay outcomes, and if given the opportunity, pardon enablers found guilty.
0: Can you share anything about how other countries have dealt with politicians who were found guilty of crimes and misdemeanors?
1: Yes, in some countries, autocrats and their ideology are disqualified, barred, or imprisoned for their crimes and misdemeanors. This happened in German, Germany after the war. A residue of Nazis continued to promote Hitler's ideology through candidates. They failed. And were banned from running for office. It happened in Italy with Berlusconi who was a media tycoon. He was banned from holding public office due to dozens of indictments. Another example is the ex-president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, who was banned from holding office until 2030. The crimes committed were similar, involving spreading lies about the electoral process, not accepting the will of the people, inciting riots, and indictments for crimes and misdemeanor. Does that sound familiar?
0: Well, I'll leave that to our audience to answer that question. But what are some of the positive outcomes when autocrats finally face consequences?
1: Autocrats losing power and control can have a sobering effect on their supporters, some feeling betrayed, deceived, some feeling liberated, no longer fearing revenge, and retaliation. Often it depends on the will of the people, the motivation and mission to reboot the vision, the mission, and the guiding principles of a democracy, as Germany has done.
0: So tell us what is a lesson to be learned by way of history, and also current realities of the influence and forces of autocracy and autocrats.
1: It's a matter of dealing with reality, actual facts, the real world. What American citizens need to comprehend and remember is that the insurrection on the Capitol and the plot of using fake electors was a coup on American democracy. The attack on January 6th, 2021 was unprecedented And did not occur by happenstance It was engineered By a host of antagonists Within and outside of Washington The insurrection was a historical marker That indelibly scarred America But future regrets and consequences Can be avoided by the power of our choice And our vote And that's where it all begins Our vote
0: Well, as we approach the end of the podcast, I'm wondering if you can provide a source that leaves us with some hope and helps us come to terms with what is exactly at stake and that helps us realize our obligations as citizens.
1: Richard Haas, an American diplomat and close advisor to Colin Powell, published a book in 2023 called The Bill of Obligations, Ten Habits of Good Citizens that I believe crosses all generations and that should be read, again, in high school before graduating and by citizens before voting. Now, the first part of the book is devoted to the history of American democracy. The second part of the book introduces ten obligations for good citizenship that, if adopted, he says would would go a long way towards focusing with awareness and comprehension the issues of our times. The obligations are the following. Number one, be informed. Make the time to remain current on issues and candidates. Validate, fact check your sources and references. Two, get involved. Find your power of influence regardless of status and zip code. Three, remain open-minded, believe in compromise, collaboration, and consensus. Number four, remain civil with language, tone, and actions. Five, reject violence. Six, value and respect norms, particularly the truth. Follow it. Seven, promote the common good that can enhance the quality of life for all. Eight, respect government service. Get involved as a problem solver. Government is not broken, but rather the problem is people focused on obstruction and power. Nine, support the teaching of civics. And I may add, map citizenship and democracy into the curriculum from elementary school through high school. And number ten, put country first. In front of candidate... And party. And lastly, Gloria, the historian John Meacham recently shared his perspective on this subject, and here I am paraphrasing. He said that while it is important for historians to study and try to fathom Americans' political landscape, given the complex reasons for our current status, he emphasized that once all is said and done, it will be the individual choice we make, given our personal power of influence as citizens, the individual ballot that will determine whether America chooses to live under the rule of democracy or an autocracy. Based on that simple, complex choice, we must own that choice as American citizens. And and lastly, I would add, Vote with the future of our children in mind, the children who have no voice and depend on us as adults to do the right thing, to change the world for the better.
0: Well, thank you, Jorge, for emphasizing the most important point that in a democracy, change and hope is in the hands of the people. And at the same time, we each have a responsibility To remain knowledgeable citizens, I urge our citizens and and listeners (laughs) to listen to podcast number 12 Autocracy versus Democracy Time to Choose, Part Three, which will deal with validating the truth versus conspiracy theories, hate metaphors, misinformation, radical acceptance of the truth, and multi generational trauma that an autocracy leaves behind. It's been a sincere pleasure to extend the conversation on this subject. And, as always, I urge our audience to go to diversitythreads.com to become familiar with the complex dimensions of diversity, inclusion, and equity. And to the website where you'll find articles specifically focusing on autocracy and democracy. And, as always, a sincere thanks to Alan Contino executive producer and chief engineer of Delirium Networks, and to Nancy Gage and Anthony Baez for the graphic designs on the website and podcast. And finally, our thanks to each of you for joining us. I'm Gloria Lapata prosperi and you have been listening to Counter Voices.